Welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We continue our Easter theme. The focus is in Luke chapter 24, the road less traveled. As we look at Luke chapter 24, verse 13 and following, here's what the scripture says. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of his companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. And so he went to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two of them told what had happened on their way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Let's join together in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to dive into this scripture, to understand even more about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that means beyond Easter for the disciples and, Father, for us as your disciples. And I pray that this morning you will give us insight and understanding. And that, Father, we will not just contemplate it, we'll just not think about it, but, Father, it will lead us to action and challenge us to be the disciples and the believers who are focused upon the road less traveled. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we talk about the road not taken, I reflect back on a poem that I learned when I was in high school. The Robert Frost poem, The Road Not Taken. It tells the story about a man who comes to the fork in the road in the forest, a yellow forest. 
Both roads look good. But as he looked, he saw that one was less traveled than the other one, and he had to make the decision what he was going to do. And he chose the less traveled road because, well, he was set for an adventure, anticipating that he would take the other main road for another day. He then realizes that he will most never, uh, ever pass that way again. And knowing this, he sees himself looking back years later and in his own words saying this, I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged into a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Here in Luke chapter 24, the disciples were on the road to Emmaus, and they had a choice. They had a choice to make after they encountered Jesus Christ. You see, that choice was going to change their lives. That choice was going to be either a choice of continuing to be confused, or it was going to be a choice that would confirm their faith in Jesus. They could continue down that road of confusion about the resurrection and the death of Jesus Christ and be no earthly good, be on the sideline, continuing to wonder in their minds what happened. Or they could be confirmed and realize that Jesus had been talking about his resurrection and the need for it and continue to have faith and be confirmed so that they would be actively engaged and involved in the work of the kingdom of God. And I believe each one of us has choices as well today. I believe that as we celebrated Holy Week, the Good Friday, Easter, that we can in our mindset say, well, that's the climax. And so now we get back to the routine of our lives. And for some of us, that is a bit of confusion. It's a confusion because, yes, we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but we're a little confused on how that relates to us as far as our activity, why we're here on this earth the priorities in our life, and we can continue to be confused in that way, or we can be confirmed and say, you know what, the resurrection of Jesus Christ tells me that I'm not here for myself, I am here to communicate that glorious event so more and more folks can have eternity in heaven. So the choice is going to be ours. We are thrust into a world of confusion, we know that, and it's been a confusing year but that continues on throughout our lives and will into the future. It's always going to be chaotic in a world that has Satan as the prince of this air, this world. But let me tell you, it's our choice if we want to stay confused. The road of confusion is sinking stand, but by faith in the solid rock of the Word of God, we can be confirmed. We can have a knowledge of without a doubt... We are doing exactly what God wants us to do. Let me tell you, it is essential that we believe in Christ's resurrection. Without Christ's resurrection, we have no hope whatsoever. All we have is a suffering martyr. And you never want to, suffer, to follow a, a suffering martyr who is dead. <laughs> what you want is a living Lord. The one who is alive, the one who has conquered death, the one who is victorious. That's who you want to follow. The resurrection offers that kind of hope. Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. So we have a choice, but the fact remains that the road we take is going to make all the difference in our lives. So let's take a, a few moments and let's talk about the, the road of confusion, what that looks like, both for the disciples on the road to Emmaus, but also in our own lives. 
First, we find that in this road to confusion, there's the confusion about Christ's death. In verses 20 and 21, the scripture says, and how, as the disciples on the road to Emmaus were saying, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Here these disciples, like others, were hoping that Jesus was going to be that Messiah that they had always looked for, the one who was going to redeem Israel, break the bonds of Rome and Rome's power. Unfortunately, like many of the people in Israel at that time, the Messiah they had interpreted in their own minds in their setting, and that's what we do many times. What we do is we look at our circumstance and we try to superimpose Scripture upon the circumstance that we are in rather than allowing Scripture to give us understanding of how we live in the circumstance that we are in. And so they interpreted all of these scriptures concerning the Messiah in their particular case, meaning we are under the thumb of Rome, and therefore the Messiah to us, what he's talking about concerning delivering Israel is that he would break the bonds of Rome and we would be able to live in freedom right here in the land of Canaan. These disciples had that same mindset. You see... They were looking for a Messiah who would be a political military leader. And many of the disciples in that day, and you have to understand where they came from, the understanding that they were meant to be free. You have an understanding also that they were free just less than 200 years before for a short period of time during the Maccabean Revolt. They longed for that. They wanted that. But then they saw their own chief priest and their own religious leaders take the one that they had put their faith in as the Messiah, and they saw him crucified upon the cross at Calvary, beaten, nailed to the cross, and he breathed his last. And they took him and put him in a tomb and rolled the stone where men could not take it away. And guess what? Their hopes were dashed because their expectation was that he would be a different kind of Messiah. But all along, Scripture was very clear on the Messiah that God was sending. I know that there are times that we might have our hopes dashed. They were confused about his, his death. Sometimes we get confused about the death of Jesus Christ. We don't understand all the details. But I want you to please put into context these disciples. They knew the Old Testament. Somehow the scriptures like Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, which they should have known well, it clearly defined the Messiah and what would happen to him. But they missed it. Jesus many times talked to them about his death and his resurrection. They didn't want to hear that. They didn't understand. In some computer language, it does not compute. <laughs> because they wanted something different. They saw something different. There is a vast difference between Easter 2019 and Easter 2020. <laughs> In Easter 2019, we had a full house. That service went as, uh, as perfectly as any service it was a celebrated time. We couldn't anticipate and wait until Easter of 2020. And guess what? We were not able to meet other than online. 
What a vast difference. It's brought some confusion, absolutely. But I want you to know that that should not dishearten us or bring confusion in our minds. Our faith should not be deterred by circumstances, but rather by the solid rock of what Jesus Christ had to say. Jesus had told these disciples, I'm going to die. If you remember, they, like Peter, said, God forbid it, Lord, this will never happen to you. They were trying to superimpose their beliefs to the Son of God who created everything. And he's trying to communicate, this is what I'm saying. This is what will happen. Isn't it like us sometimes? When we read the Word of God and say, oh God, no, that's not going to work here. But my opinion, what I firmly believe, what I humbly believe about things, will not happen that way. And God just looks and says, how do you know everything? My word has spoken. Listen, we need to make sure that we don't fall into this trap of confusion, a temptation to think that our superimposing our thoughts, our beliefs, upon what Scripture says and what Jesus says does not happen because I promise you it will lead to confusion. There are preachers out there and there are charismatic leaders out there that superimpose their belief system upon the Word of God, and people are following them, but they're following them in error. you got to hold on to what God's Word says and not what some belief of another person says. If we don't know the Word of God, I'm telling you, we can be blown away by every wind of doctrine. They were confused about the death of Jesus Christ. Also, we find that they were confused of Christ's resurrection. In verses 22 and 23, he says, But also some of the women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Here, these disciples, their hopes were already dashed. But now on this Sunday morning, they were in the upper room. And here come these, what they anticipate as as disciples, uh, half hysterical women coming in and saying, you won't believe this, but Jesus Christ is alive. The tomb is empty, and the angels told us what had happened. Can you imagine that information coming to you after you had seen Jesus die on the cross? Now, I know from our perspective, we understand the scene, but on their perspective, all they saw was the death of Jesus. They had not heard all the things that he had said about his death and resurrection. And so they're stunned by this. They're astonished. So much so that Peter and John ran to the tomb and they saw the empty tomb. Jesus was not there. Was their hopes dashed? I think they were more confused. Now they're really confused. It was just after this that the two disciples left to go that seven, eight miles to Emmaus. As they walked home, throwing their conversation back and forth concerning all the events of the weekend, Jesus comes up to them. And he asked them, what are you two talking about? And they were kept from recognizing him. And I'm not sure, I don't have a complete understanding of what that means. God may have kept them from that, or maybe Jesus was in some kind of a different appearance. It, it, that's not the, the concern here. The concern is that he came and was listening 
in a sense, eavesdropping until he directly talked with them and said, well, what are you two talking about so intently? And the Bible says that they stopped and they stood still and their faces to the ground. They were downcast. They were discouraged. They were confused. Talk about glooming. Talk about a hopelessness. Talk about confusion. Let me tell you, confusion does a real number on the life of the individual. If you've ever been around a person that, for whatever reason, all of a sudden finds themselves confused, it is heartbreaking because they don't know where they are, what they're doing. It, they're rattled. This is exactly what was going on with the disciples. It is interesting. You know, a, a man who was once strong as a rock when he becomes confused can become like a weak like jelly. A confused person has a sense of meaninglessness and emptiness about himself. They don't know how they're going, what their purpose is. Jesus said that he would rise in three days, but the disciples took the road of logic and says it's not logical for a person to come back to life. And that caused a great confusion in their lives. I don't know if you remember, we've been seeing reports uh, historical reports over the last few days about uh, when the day that President Reagan was, was shot, March 30th, 1981. I remember that day very clearly. There was all kinds of rumors floating around. Some said that Reagan was dead. Others said that he was still alive. So many confusing comments on the various networks People didn't know what to believe. The United States, the people, were in a mode of waiting to hear, confused. But let me tell you, when the doctor came out and he spoke directly and clearly and definitively about what had happened and the condition of President Reagan, the confusion stopped. Confusion happens when you have too many voices in the room. We have one voice. We need to hear what Jesus has to say. We need to hear what God's word has to say. The disciples were in the upper room. And here we had the women saying that Jesus arose. There were others who were saying that his body was stolen by disciples to prove that he resurrected and to continue that erroneous belief. Yet there were others saying other things. It was confusing at that time. The disciples didn't know what to think. And you have to remember, we are on this side of it. We understand what Scripture says, but can you imagine being right in the midst of that and all the confusion? Well, what happened to Jesus? We saw him die. Now the tomb's empty. What has happened the confusion remained until Jesus Christ himself set the record straight. But you know, if the disciples would have believed all that the prophets had said, and if they had believed all the things concerning his death and resurrection that Jesus had said, they would not have had the grief or the confusion. They would have been spared that. 
My friends, if we would just hang on to the Word of God, the hope that it gives the truth, the divine understanding, that confusion would be gone and we could be spared all of our grief and our confusion. God gives us the ability and the, 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 the mind to think logically. In fact, we pride ourselves in our logical thinking. But sometimes we cannot put God in our logic box. He says, my ways are not your ways, and your ways are not my ways. When that happens and we try to put God in our logic box, we get confused because he is beyond that. He is above that. This is why we should, by faith, hold on to the promises of God. Thomas thought logically. He said, there's absolutely no way that Jesus could rise from the dead. I will not believe it unless I put my hands on his side. And guess what? That's exactly what Thomas did. When Jesus appeared to them the second time, and Thomas was there the second time, Jesus opened his cloak and said, Thomas, fill, fill the nail-pierced side where the spear came in, my hands where the nails were. And Thomas fell to the, fell to the ground, my Lord and my God. When are we going to come to the place where we don't just live our lives completely in the logic box. And so if Scripture does not follow within our logic box, we just kind of set it to the side. Why can't we just live by faith? Why can't we just take God's Word at the very face value and what the Spirit of God teaches us and gives us understanding about and just live life? Because that confusion would go away. Nizami, an early Persian prophet, said, in the hours of adversity, be not without hope, for crystal rain falls from black clouds. I want you to know that Jesus is that crystal rain. He is the one who gives us hope. We must hold on to him. Don't be confused about the death or the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is real. He will transform your life if you believe. I want to segue into that second road that you could take. That is the road of confirmation. First, we have the confirmation of Christ's words. In verse 27 of Luke chapter 24, it says, And that beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus, when he heard how confusing these disciples, their minds were, and what they were saying was confusing, and how downcast they were, he said, You fools! <laughs> I'm not sure quite how he got away with that when he, they, they still hadn't recognized him. But he was straightforward and he was blunt with them. And he began with Scripture. The confirmation of Christ's words. He started with Moses and all the prophets and he explained to them all the things concerning himself in all the Scriptures. The Scriptures are God's authoritative word. Throughout the New Testament, whenever confusion strikes or trials arise, Jesus was always there to help out. When the storm came on the Sea of Galilee and the boat was about to sink, Jesus said, be still. And that lake became as still as glass. When the epileptic boy was brought to Jesus to cast out the demons, we find that Jesus cast them out. But then he looked and rebuked the faithfulness of his disciples, both on the Sea of Galilee and with the epileptic boy. 
Here in verse 25, he says the same thing. He said, oh, foolish men. In other words, why are you thick? Why are you not listening? Why aren't you comprehending? Because you have your own agenda. You have your own mindset. What he wants is a pliable mind and heart where he can teach. You need to be teachable. And then you need to understand and have ears to hear. Jesus saw that the confusion had gripped these two disciples, and he wanted to confirm them in their faith. He wanted to give them encouragement and peace. And the way that Jesus chose to do this is he quoted Scripture. He started from Moses, and he went through the prophets, and he told them everything about what the Scripture said about him. I can imagine as he was talking with these disciples, he might have, have used Deuteronomy 18.15, when Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me. I imagine that he spoke with authority when he talked about faith. He later said, uh, they later said, were not our hearts burning within us when he explained the scripture to us? I can only imagine having this one-on-two opportunity after the resurrection of Christ and here was this stranger in the minds of these disciples, and yet he was explaining in Scripture everything about the Messiah and what was anticipated with him in Scripture. And they said, they must have been eating that up. It was encouraging to them, and the Scripture says their hearts were burning. They were warmed up. They were encouraged. They were getting pumped up because of what the Scripture said. The only way to combat confusion is by the word of God. It is the truth. The scriptures and the knowledge of the scriptures are so vital for us. Woodrow Wilson said, When you have read the Bible, you will know that you have read the word of God because you have found it the key to your own heart, your own happiness, and your own duty. It is the key. That is vital. I go back to the book of Nehemiah in chapter 8. And it tells us in that chapter that Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the congregation. They had not received that law in so many years, but they all stood up and he began to read. And he began to read from uh, in the morning all the way until midday. And the Bible says the ears of the people were attentive. They wanted to hear the word of God, the law of God. They were excited about it. The, the scripture was vital for them, and they, had, they didn't have it for so long. And they were so excited to hear. In fact, it, the scripture goes on to say later in the chapter that all the people wept when they heard the words of the law of God. When was the last time that you read the word of God and tears streamed down your face. Usually we catch a few scriptures and head on about our day. Or even if we're into a more in-depth Bible study, we're basically taking a journey of, of learning all the details of it, not necessarily allowing it to touch our heart, rather just to touch our mind. The scriptures are meant to touch our heart. The people heard the word of God, they were weeping. It was the Spirit of God coming upon them and giving them understanding. And my friends, that's what we need. That's what's going to eliminate the confusion in our lives. It's the word of God. And we need to understand it and take it to heart. 
We need to allow ourselves to weep. You see, the Word of God brings confirmation to the minds and hearts of people. We're moved by God's Spirit within us. We need to make sure that we are not likened to these disciples who were called foolish ones. <laughs> I don't want God to look at me and say, gee, you're foolish. I really do want to be attentive and hear. We need to know and we need to believe the Scriptures. And then we need to put those Scriptures into action. That is imperative. To know, to believe, and then to act on them. Not just sit in a pew, not just sit in the stands, not just sit in our comfy chair at home, but actually put them into practice in our everyday lives to touch the community that God has led us in. Dr. Billy Hanks Jr. in his Christian Discipleship Seminar of Internalizing God's Word says this, says the Word of God is many things in the Bible, but it is most commonly referred to as an offensive weapon or spiritual food. It protects us, it nourishes us, and it brings us to the knowledge of God. That's what God's Word does for us. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thought and intent of the heart. The word of God is meant to dive right into the very essence of our soul to cut out everything and get to the intent and the thought of our mind and our heart and our soul. When do you allow God's Word to do that to you rather than you just trying to analyze it? When do you allow it to cut deep in your heart and your soul and your mind to say, God, I, just, I want you to go in and cut out all the non, the evil stuff, all the fat. I want... I want, I want to be the person you want me to be. Dr. Hanks gives some easy steps to internalize God's Word in us. He gives us five things. He said, first, hear the Word for faith. Second, read the Word for fellowship. Third, study the Word for knowledge. Fourth, memorize God's Word for effectiveness. And fifth, meditate on God's Word for understanding. If we honestly apply these steps and hang on to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 and know that, that the Scripture is there to cut into our hearts to make us the better people, the better believers, the better followers, then I promise you, you will be confirmed in God's Word. We also understand that confirmation comes with Christ's words, but also Christ's deeds. In verse 30 of Luke chapter 24, he says, And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, he, and breaking it, he gave it to them. Here, after on the road, after explaining the scriptures to these disciples, he was planning on going right on ahead, but they asked him, they urged him to stay with them at Emmaus. It was getting dark. And so they reclined at the table they were about to eat, and which is tradition. They asked the guest if they would break the bread, bless it, in other words. And Jesus took that bread, and he blessed it, and he gave it to them. And let me tell you, it was at that time that their eyes were opened. <laughs> 
they realized that this was Jesus. They realized that he was the risen, resurrected Lord. Do you remember that time in your life? When you've just been going through life, you know, and, and you might be going to church, and you might be reading the Bible, and you might be praying, but all of a sudden, it's like the day your eyes were opened, and you see Jesus as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The one who wants to be your Savior, and the one who wants to be your Lord. And all of a sudden, you say, I've been blind this whole time. And He transforms your life. That's what happened here. And my friend, I hope that's what's happening in your life. One can't help but imagine over the times that Jesus blessed food and miraculous things happened. Like when he fed the 5,000 and again when he fed the 4,000, he blessed the food each of those times when he fed it and the, and the food, uh, it multiplied. <laughs> you remember when Jesus had the Last Supper and he introduced the new covenant. He blessed the bread as he broke it. He blessed and prayed for the juice, the wine that represented his blood. And what came of that? What came of that was his full sacrifice and his resurrection. The new covenant. Spilt, poured out for the sins of many. Confirmation of Christ's deeds. He didn't just talk the talk. He didn't just do what a rabbi would do and just teach, teach wisdom. He didn't just do miracles. He gave everything. Everything. The mighty deed of Jesus confirmed the fact that he is the risen, living Christ to these disciples at Emmaus. You know what they did? The Bible says that he disappeared from them. And the Bible says that they hurried back. They didn't get in their BMW and head on. <laughs> but I can guarantee you, even in the nightfall, those eight miles did not take very long because they were running every single step along the way. They knew the road. They wanted to get back to Jerusalem to get to the upper room to tell their disciples, as Scripture says, their experiences on the road and how he was recognized to them by the breaking of bread. It was confirmation. His deed of praying was confirmation of his resurrection. And that's what I want you to understand today. I want you to understand that you can be confirmed by God's word and his deeds. What he says and what he has done. And what he continues to do through the counselor. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of you as believers and for those of you today who are not believers, he's knocking at your heart's door wanting to come and to be a part of your life and to, to eliminate your sin, to give you life everlasting if you would just reach out to him. He confirms us today. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is still greatly working in our world. Sometimes we wonder if that's happening, but in reality we're not letting him work like he, we, we should but there are great deeds, revivals, spiritual awakenings happening all over this globe. God is not dead. His Son is not dead. He is alive. And the Spirit is moving powerfully. Listen, only through Jesus Christ do we have confirmation. 
He is the solid rock, as Edward Mote said in his words of the great hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And this morning, I'm asking you, which road are you going to take? Are you going to take the road of confusion, inactivity, indifference, apathy? Are you going to take the road less traveled by, as Jesus said, the narrow road that only a few will go down? But it's the one that is the solid rock. That question only you can answer. Are you going to be confirmed, engaged, and actively involved in accomplishing the Great Commission and the great covenant. As Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken, ends, two roads diverged into a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. My friend, it'll make the difference in your life. But that goes two ways. Because if you go the way the world goes, you're going to continue to be confused. You will not accomplish the things God wants you to. But if you take the less traveled road, I promise you, it will not be easy. But it will change your life because you'll be doing exactly what God wants you to do through Jesus Christ. And he will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And this morning, that invitation is yours. Would you reach out and embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior if you've never done that? Or make him the Lord of your life? If you're a believer, haven't been completely committed to him, be confirmed by his word, by his deed, and follow him. Jesus, we thank you for the time we've had this morning, and I ask through the power of your spirit that you would give understanding. Let us have ears to hear and let your spirit speak to each one of us. And those that need to give their life to Christ this morning, I pray they would choose to do so and no longer be confused. And believers who are just not certain about life or purpose, I pray that, God, they will allow you to be, through Jesus, the Lord of their lives, be the director, and today they would choose to be the followers you have called them to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.